Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And then look down at verse 9, and you'll see what Paul prayed for them. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you could stand face to face with the Lord Jesus this morning and ask him one question, what would that question be? I kind of have the idea of what question you might ask because it's what the majority of folks in surveys have asked, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But it's the same question that the Apostle Paul asked in the ninth chapter of Acts when he was on the road to Damascus. In fact, there in that ninth chapter of the book of Acts, Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, asked the two greatest questions that any human being can ever ask. Who art thou, Lord? And Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Those are the two greatest questions that can be asked. Who are you? And Lord, what do you want me to do? See, when surveys are taken and people are asked, what subject would you like to hear a message on? What would you like to hear the preacher preach about? The number one answer is tell us how to find the will of God, how to know the will of God in our lives. Preacher, help me to know what God wants from me, how to know what God's will is for my life? And that's a great question, and we're going to try to deal with some of that in this message this morning and the message next Sunday morning. Now, I'm going to tell you from the beginning, this is a two-part message. It began as one message, and it became two parts as I began to try to prepare it. But we're going to look at the will of God and finding the will of God for our lives because I'm happy to announce to you this morning, you can know the will of God for your life. It's not some secret. It's not some mystery that we don't find out until just before we die. You can know God's will for your life. And I'm not talking about just God's general will. You know, that's what I call it, God's general will. What is God's general will for the life of a saved person? Well, he wants you to be saved. We'll talk about that a little bit in a moment. He wants you to be saved. Then after you're saved, what does God want you to be baptized? Identify with the Lord Jesus. After you're baptized, become a member of one of the Lord's New Testament churches. For unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And start serving him through a scriptural New Testament church. Witness to folks. Invite folks to church. Give as God has prospered you. Live a truly Christian life before others. That's what I call God's general will for the life of any child of God. He expects it from every believer. But now, folks, I believe we can know a more specific will of God for our lives also. And we're going to look at that as we get into this two-part message, and we're going to hear just part one this morning. Not only do I believe that saved people can know the will of God for our lives, I believe a lost person can know what God wills for their life. And here's why I say that. See, if you've never repented toward God, if you never put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, whether you're here this morning or you're watching by live stream, here's what God wants for your life. He wants you to be saved. 
He wants you to come to know Jesus Christ the Savior. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants all men to be saved. That's the desire of his heart. 1 Timothy chapter 2 talks about God our Savior in verse 3. Verse 4 says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. If you are lost this morning, if you've never trusted Christ this morning, God's will is that you would be saved today. You know, I hear people say all the time, I see it written out in Facebook and places like that sometimes, people would say, I just won't worship a God who would send men to hell. Well, let me tell you something. If you're one of those folks, God does not force anyone into hell. Amen. By the way, God doesn't force anybody into heaven. One preacher put it this way one time, God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anybody. Amen. God won't force you into hell. God won't force you into heaven. People make their own choices. People make their own decision. Now, there is the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we came to know Christ as Savior. But God has told mankind of two eternities, and there's only two. You know, there's no middle ground. There's no place where you can just hover aimlessly for eternity. There's only one of two eternities, either hell or heaven. And God in his word has told mankind that there are those two eternities, and God has told mankind how to escape hell, okay? Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if someone goes to hell... It is their choice. They chose to reject Jesus Christ as Savior. They chose to reject the free gift of salvation. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. People choose to reject that gift that God has for them. They choose to die lost, and they choose hell over heaven when they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. They die in their sin. Now, if you're lost, God wants you to be saved. And then after you're saved, you know what God wants? Just what I mentioned a moment ago, that God wants for all saved people, baptism, scriptural baptism at the hands of a scriptural New Testament church, membership in one of those scriptural churches, faithful service to him, and those things. So God has laid out his will in that way for our lives, in what I call a general way for our lives. But I think we can go far beyond that also. But before we begin to understand what God wants in a more specific way for our lives, I want us to look at our text and see what Paul said to this church at Colossians we read just a moment ago. We first see in verse 4, look what he says in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul had heard of their faith. Now remember, Paul had never been to this church. Paul's writing this letter from a Roman prison. He had never been to this church, but he had heard of their faith. And you continue reading, it says, and of the love which you have to all the saints. So their faith in Christ had brought forth fruit. Among that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. He was aware, because of verse 5 and later verses, he was aware that Epaphras, verse 7 he names this, you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is for you a faithful minister. So he had learned that Epaphras was their minister, and Epaphras was the one who brought word to Paul, who's sitting in a Roman prison cell, of this church. So he was willing to talk in good ways about the church he pastored. And I think every pastor ought to speak kindly and speak well of the church that they pastor. Amen. 
And then he had heard of their self-sacrificing love in the Holy Spirit, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. This is a fantastic testimony for this church. You look at what he is saying, this great testimony that he has for this church. Number one, they're full of saved folks. You know the best kind of church to have is a church that's full of saved people. Lost people get into churches. And many times when lost people get into churches, they stir up difficulties and problems and situations in churches. We were talking about that in the Sunday school class. I said, what do we require? You walk this aisle. You tell us we, you've been saved. You give somewhat of a good testimony. And we vote to baptize you and make you a member. But sometimes lost people get in church. It's great to have a church that is full of saved folks. But not only was it full of saved folks, it was full of saved folks that were serving God. Now, if you got a church full of saved folks, it ought to be a church that is serving God, shouldn't it? We ought to be faithful to the Lord. And not only were they serving God, he said they loved the Lord. I'd hate to pastor a church that didn't love the Lord. I don't think it'd be blessed to the Lord. But here there were a church full of saved folks who loved the Lord, who's serving the Lord, and not only that, they love one another. And man, that makes for a sweet, sweet fellowship, doesn't it? You know, I pray that this testimony that Paul had of this church at Colossae would be the same, our testimony forever. I think we have that testimony. We have saved folks. We have saved folks who love the Lord. We have saved folks who love one another and are serving one another. And I pray that will always be the testimony of this church. Now look back to verse 3 and see how Paul felt about this church, which he had never met. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to get personal here. How often do you pray for this church? Pray for the pastor. Well, what should I pray for for the church? Well, just all sorts of things. Pray for God to bless her. Pray for our fellowship, our harmony, our unity, our faithfulness to God. Pray that we'll always stand for the truth. Let me just pray that God will bless this church. But Paul prayed for this church at Colossae. Here's a wonderful thought. We can pray for, not only for us, but we can pray for sister churches. We can pray for sister churches who are standing for the truth, serving God, loving the truth, even though we have never met them. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's praying for one of the Lord's churches. Now, what did he pray for them? Well, I said verse 9 tells us, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul said, I'm praying that you would know the will of God for your lives. I'm just praying that you'll know God's will for your life, and for the most part, if you'll notice that understanding the will of God for our lives comes from wisdom and spiritual understanding. Somebody will say, you got me there, Pastor, because I'm not a wise person. Oh, yes, you can be. You know what wisdom is? There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. There's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge because I think we're seeing a lot of people today who know a bunch of stuff, but they're not wise. Amen. They know a lot of things, but they don't know how to use the knowledge that they have. They don't operate in wisdom. The word for wisdom, and I don't know why I decided to share this with you, but the word for wisdom is Sophia. Okay? And so the word is an interesting word because it has so many shades of meaning to it that you have to read the context and understand the meaning of this word as it's used in that particular context. 
One of the best description of wisdom that I have ever heard is this. Wisdom is the right use. It is the godly use of the knowledge that we have. Amen. Some people have more knowledge than others. Some people have more education than others. Some people have doctor's degrees and some people have bachelor's degrees and some people have 98.6 degrees is all they have, you know. But you may not have a degree, but you can be wise. Some of the wisest people I've known didn't have any kind of degree at all because they knew how to take the knowledge that they had and use it in a way, in a godly way and in a way to serve God. The word understanding, on the other hand, talks about knowledge. It can be understood to mean intelligence. Use your intelligence to understand the will of God. Listen, God does not expect you to check your brain at the door when you come into a worship service or when you try to understand God's will for your life. Amen. God expects us to use the intelligence and the knowledge that we have. And so wisdom and spiritual understanding speak of having a comprehensive insight into the purposes of God and an ability to discern spiritual things. And if you're a child of God, you have the ability to discern spiritual things. Now, verse 10, Paul says, here's the reason that I've prayed this way, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, you can't really walk worthy of the Lord until you know the will of the Lord. You can't do what God wants you to do until you know what God wants you to do. You have to know His will to be able to walk in a worthy way. A worthy walk is a walk in the will of God. It is a walk that pleases God. And listen, when you please God, it doesn't matter who you displease. And when you displease God, it doesn't matter who you please. See, we want to live with a desire to please God, to do what God would have us to do. And the way to walk with God and the way to walk in the will of God is to walk the worthy walk and that will make you fruitful. Here's what Paul says, I want you to know the will of God and it's my prayer that you might know the will of God for your personal, individual lives. Remember, it's God who makes it possible for us to do His will. We need to be willing to do His will. God's not going to require something of you, want you to do something that you can't do. And so God makes it possible for you to do His will. He clears the way. He prepares our hearts. Just think about how blessed we are. We're so blessed. We have a Savior beside us who directs our footsteps. We have the Spirit within us who impresses our hearts. And we have a God above us who's directing our ways and saying, I'll lead you. Folks, we can serve God. We can know the will of God for our lives. So before we start trying to understand the will of God on a personal level, I want us to understand something about the, God and the sovereignty of God and the sovereign will of God, okay? That's going to be this message this morning. We serve a sovereign God. What does it mean to be sovereign? Well, what is the definition of the sovereignty of God? First of all, the Bible teaches us that God is sovereign, that He created us, He created all things, and that He has the right to do with His creation as He sees fit, and it is His creation. Okay? 
It belongs to him. Listen to some verses of scripture. Psalm 100 verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. People are living today like they made themselves. No, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So God created us. Psalm 115 verse 3. But God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased, and he can. And listen, when God does whatsoever he pleases, it will always be right, for he is God. Job chapter 12, verses 17, and, and I need to explain this a little bit, because what Job is doing, Job is right here placing himself under the sovereign will of God. He's in effect saying that, what God has done is okay. What God has done is right. Listen to these verses. But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, who knoweth not in all these things that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. What Job is saying right there is that you just ask anybody. They'll understand that what has happened is the will of God. Remember what happened to Job? Job didn't understand why God had allowed those things to happen to him. We don't know that he ever understood why God had allowed the things that happened to him to happen. But Job just said, okay, this is the will of God, and I'm going to accept the will of God. I'm going to continue to serve in God. What did he say at one point? He said, though he slay me, yet shall I serve him. Job was a faithful servant of God. We know that what happened to Job was a test God letting Satan see how faithful Job was. Remember what God had said to Satan about that. But Job just said, God is the one that is in control. God is sovereign. And though I don't understand it, you understand why God has allowed it, I'm going to thank God and serve God and live for God in the midst of it. So to say that God is sovereign, to say that he's over and above all creation just because of the simple fact that God is the creator. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. And listen to what the Apostle Paul asked in the ninth chapter of Romans and in verse 20. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? See, we have no right to question God as to why he does something. Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? You take a potter who's making pottery and he can make it for whatever use he wants. If he decides and he looks at it and it doesn't look just right, he just squash it all back down and start all over again. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the potter. He has the right to do with his creation whatever he wants to do, and God has the right to do with this creation whatever he wants to do. Somebody will say, why COVID? I don't know, but God has a purpose for it, as I said a moment ago. Amen. Whatever that purpose is, it will be fulfilled. We may have issues with it. We may wish we could get back to what we call normal, which is sometimes abnormal, you know. But God is in control of this whole situation. Because God lives in sinless perfection, I said a moment ago, whatever God does is always going to be right. Now, I said we don't have any right to question God as to why he did something. We may ask why in this manner, Lord, what do you want me to get from this? 
Lord, what do you want me to understand from this? This thing that's happening in my life, this thing that I'm facing right now, whether it's a crisis or a tragedy, whatever it may be, Lord, I don't know why it is happening, but I want you to know what you want me to learn from it. I want to see what you want me to see from it. And see, the atheist wants to say that man created God, but the Word of God says that God created man, and God has a right to rule over mankind. So that's our sovereign God. And our sovereign God has a perfect or a sovereign will. Let's notice a few things about God's sovereign will. First of all, it is God's sovereign will that whosoever will repent toward Him, and, and that means turn to Him, and accept Christ as Savior. Romans chapter 10 verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. There's God's will. God wants the whosoever's of this world. And who are the whosoever's? They're whosoever. God wants the whosoever's of this world to know Jesus Christ as Savior. John chapter 3 verse 16. We're familiar with that verse of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, trusts him, depends upon him, should not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 speaks of God who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works and says but according to his own purpose. Why did God call you to preach, preacher? I don't know. He had a purpose in it. But to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And then Titus chapter 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. See, it's God's will that whosoever, if you don't know Christ as Savior, you're a whosoever. And it's God's will that whosoever will may be saved. And it's God's will that whoever is saved would be his children. Adopted into his family. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Now some folks get hung up on that word chosen. Where it says that the Lord has chosen us before the foundation of the world. Some folks get hung up on that. They try to say that God chose some people to be saved before he ever created the world. And he chose some people to be lost before he ever created the world. That's not right. What does Romans 10, 13 say? Whosoever shall call upon them. That means anybody. That is like a blank where a person can fill in their name. See, the key words in verse 4 here in Ephesians 1 are the words in him. God hath chosen those who are in him to be his children. Now, when did he do that? He did that before the foundation of the world. That's the foreknowledge of God. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. Everything with God is a, an eternal present tense with God. He knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You don't know right now. He knows who's going to be saved today in church services throughout this world. We don't know. And so God knows everything that's going to happen. That does not mean he makes things happen. Amen. And before God ever created this world, he knew a little boy named Jim would be born. And he'd be named Jim. I'm just not going to use a last name that I talk about either of us, okay? 
He knew a little boy would be born named, and his name would be Jim. And that at a certain time in his life, he would come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's the foreknowledge of God. And God said, you know what? When that little boy named Jim is saved, I'm going to adopt him into my family. He's going to be my child. And so God's foreknowledge and God's desire is that all who are saved would be adopted into his family. And he said, we're predestinated to that. And some folks get hung up on that word predestinated. But predestinated speaks of what we are predestinated to, not who is predestinated. What are we predestinated to? What does it say? That we are predestinated unto the adoption of children. That's what God said before he created the world. That's what God said was going to happen. So it's God's sovereign will that whosoever would be saved. It's God's sovereign will that whoever is saved would be his child and be in his family. It is God's sovereign and perfect will that all who accept Jesus and who are adopted into his family will be his heirs. Romans chapter 8 verse 16, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Somebody say, what's this world coming to? I'll tell you what this world's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. He's over it. He's the one that holds it together according to the verses here in this book of Colossians. And you and I are joint heirs with Jesus Christ because that's the will of God because that's what the word of God says. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 5, remember in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. We're joint heirs, folks, with Jesus Christ. And it's God's sovereign will to make the kingdoms of this world the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And things are moving in that direction. What's the next great event on God's timetable? I believe it's the rapture of the saved. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come in the clouds and those of us who are saved are going to be living saved, are going to be caught up together with him. They which are dead in Christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And there's going to be a reunion one of these days with our loved ones, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The rapture of the saved. Then there's the tribulation that this world will go through. Seven years of tribulation upon this earth and then the millennial reign of Christ and then the new heaven and the new earth. This is all a part of God's plan. This is all a part of God's sovereign will. Now before we close this message. I want to say a quick word about what I call God's permissive will. I used that term one time in front of a preacher friend and he asked me how many wills does God have? God has one will. But I believe a part of God's sovereign will is what I call, and you may call it this, you may call it something else, God's permissive will. God has one desire. God has one will. But because of his foreknowledge, and maybe in part because of his mercy, God has made provision for mankind to choose. Amen. You can do God's will or you cannot do God's will. One preacher said God's sovereign will is never frustrated. It will always be done. But the scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Then why are some people rejecting Christ and dying lost and going to hell? I'll tell you why. Even though God wants everybody to be saved, even though God wants everybody to come to Jesus Christ for salvation, some are going to reject him and God has given them that choice. We call it, we have a theological term for it, we call it the free moral agency of mankind. God did not make you a puppet. 
God could have done that, but God did not. And we're going to say more about that in just a moment. But free moral agency, God's permissive will, mankind's choice is seen, I think, very clearly in Adam in the Garden of Eden. You remember what happened there? And I'm sure you do. God said to Adam, here's the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, and don't you dare eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in the day that you eat of it, what did he say? Thou shalt surely die. Literally, that says in dying thou shalt die. It talks about a double death. The moment Adam ate of that fruit, he began to die physically, but immediately he was separated from God. And that's the best definition of death, separation. See, when a person dies, their spirit separates from their body. And that body has no life in it any longer. So it's separation. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. So Adam immediately was separated from God. Because remember God came into the garden in the cool of the evening. Where he and Adam used to meet together. And Adam's hiding from him. They were separated. And so God had told him don't eat of this fruit of this tree. And God told him what the consequences were. If he were to eat of the fruit of this tree. And God had given him a wife. Now I'm not going to blame everything on wives, okay? But Satan approached Eve and got her to eat of that fruit. And she said to her husband, here, have a bite of this. Now Adam's got a choice, doesn't he? God said, don't. My wife says, go ahead. Who am I going to listen to? And Adam chose the fruit that Eve offered to him and he ate of that fruit and he was separated from God and plunged all of mankind into sin because of one decision. But God gave him, God could have made him where he said to Eve, no, I'm not going to do it and you're going to be separated from God, but I'm not. But it didn't work that way. And Adam disobeyed God and he had the opportunity not to disobey God. God could have created us so that we had no other choice but to worship him. He could have made us that way. Now, I do believe that God has put what one man called a God-shaped vacuum into every human being, into every person that is born. There is a desire to worship. And if that person does not worship God, they're going to worship something. They may worship sports. They may worship money. They may worship fame. You just name it. They may worship the most convenient false God in the world that there is to worship. They may worship themselves. Amen. But mankind's going to worship something. God could have said, you've got to worship me, but he gives us a choice. Because if he had not given that choice, if he did not have what I call his permissive will, you know what, we'd be, we'd be like puppets with God pulling the strings all of the time. Do this, do that. And we just do whatever God said to do, we're going to do it. Where is the glory to God in that? Here's where there is great glory to God. When mankind understands I was created to fellowship with God. I was created to walk with God. I was created to worship God. And I'm going to worship God. But when mankind doesn't do that, again, he'll go off and find him another God. But if we would understand that's what God wants from me. And we serve him. See, Every child of God gets to choose who they're going to serve. You can even choose to serve God or you can choose to serve the world, the flesh, and the devil, which you want to serve. Well, God wants you to serve Him. What we have to remember, all of our decisions, we tell young people this all the time, how often do we think about it? All of our decisions have consequences. 
person chooses not to serve God, child of God chooses not to serve God, they may suffer the chastisement of God in their lives. Galatians chapter 6, and we had this, I know we had this just this Wednesday night. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, be not deceived, God's not mocked. That doesn't just mean make fun of God. That means trying to tell God you'll do something when you don't intend to do it. The book of Ecclesiastes says don't make promises to God. When you vow a vow to God, you better keep the vow. Don't make promises to God that you don't intend to keep or that you know you can't keep. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. I'm a child of God, but I'm going to live for the flesh. Guess what? You are not going to prosper spiritually. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now what's that talking about? The one who sows with a view to the Spirit, who chooses his or her course of conduct according to the leadership of God's Holy Spirit, will reap all of the blessings, all of the blessings of eternal life. We think of eternal life as just going to heaven. Folks, God's got a lot more for us. See, we're, if you're saved, as I've said before, if you're saved, you're living in eternal life right now. Well, one of these days I'm going to have eternal life. No, if you're saved, you have eternal life right now. And you can have all of the blessings of that life in this life and even more in the life to come. We want to know the will of God for our lives. And we're going to get to that, Lord willing, next time. But for the sake of this message, let's close it out this way. Folks, we serve a sovereign and an all-powerful God. All things are under his control. We may panic, but you know what? God never does. God just never throws up his hand and says, what am I going to do? No. Calvary was not a panic response to the sin of Adam. Calvary was planned before the casting down of the foundation of the world, the scripture says. So God doesn't panic. He's never surprised by what people do. You and I may get astonished, and I have been here lately, astonished at what people do. But God's not. Not at all. And God has a desire. God has a will for your life. And God has a will for my life. I think sometimes, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think sometimes we as God's people sort of get this idea that, hey, God only has a will for people he calls to preach or, you know, missionaries he calls or something like that. No, God has a will for each individual life. There's something God wants. See, I believe that you're a member of this church because that was God's will for your life. I'll tell you what I tell people, and I've shared it with you before, but when somebody visits this church and they're considering membership, I tell them this, if God wants you here, we want you here. Amen. If God wants you somewhere else, you need to be where God wants you. But do the will of God. Perform the will of God in your life. We're going to see, Lord willing, the next message, how God reveals that will to us, and we know that He desires a full devotion of His children to Him. That's the will of God. Everyone under the sound of my voice who knows Jesus Christ the Savior, God desires for you to be fully, completely devoted, dedicated to Him, serving Him. And if you're not His child, God wants to adopt you into His family. God is not willing that any should perish. God does not want anybody, as I said at the outset of this message, to die lost. God is not some heavenly, cosmic, joy who gets a thrill out of sending people to hell. I mean, if that were the case, he could have just never sent Jesus. 
And all of humanity would have spent an eternity in hell separated from him. But God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. Amen. And Jesus, we had a lesson this morning in Sunday school on what Jesus endured prior to going to the cross. We've read and studied what he endured on the cross, but what he endured prior to the beatings, being spit upon, being mocked, being made fun of, being betrayed by one of his own. And he did that, why? Because God wants people to be saved. So if you're watching this live stream or you're here this morning, you're not a child of God. God wants to adopt you into his family, but you've got to be his. You've got to be saved before he can adopt you into his family. And when that happens, you become an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus Christ. Yes, God has a will for my life and God has a will for your life. And we can know some things very generally about what he wants. But we ought to be daily seeking God's will. I believe on a daily basis. Lord, what would you have me to do today? Lord, who art thou? And what would you have me to do? Those should be our questions as the people of God.